Let's have a ball at Faneuil Hall. We love the old town team. Take the green line to the sicko sign. We love the old town team. Oh, the kid, yes, Remdog PD, you can wait. Hey everybody, welcome into the Old Town Podcast. Whether you have been a longtime listener on the Athletic app or our first-time listener here because this is the first time that this podcast has been available for free on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're excited that it is now outside the paywall of The Athletic. Uh, We'll be coming to you once a week throughout the Red Sox season and into the offseason. I'm Tim McMaster, joined this week by Chad Jennings, our Red Sox writer here at The Athletic, and Lars Anderson, former Red Sox first baseman. Um, Guys, first of all, I guess, just welcome to the show. Welcome to the free edition of the show. Lars, you excited? I've never been more excited for anything in my life. I woke up at five in the morning and couldn't go back to sleep. And you're on the West Coast, so not that long ago as we record this at noon Eastern time. And Chad, um, obviously you were a part of the podcast in bits um, a year ago. Now you and Jen uh, McCaffrey, our other Red Sox writer, are going to be a bigger part of it. Um, you're, You're stuck here for the whole 30, 35 minutes, however long we go. Yeah, you sent us microphones. That's how I knew we were getting serious. Yeah, that's big. That's a big step. Um, We have left the paywall of The Athletic, but if you want a savings on a one-year subscription to The Athletic, you can do that. You can save 40% off a one-year subscription, so you can read all of Jen and Lars and Chad's great stuff on The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash wickedpod. And since we are available everywhere now, please Give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're listening, and give us a good review as well. That helps things as we kind of get our footing here in the free world. So a lot to get to. We're going to talk about Chris Sale. That's obviously the big news right now. Uh, We're going to talk about trying to put some sort of positive spin on spring training as this team gets going after a very dark offseason into what's become kind of a a dark season as well. And then we'll touch on just a couple other storylines that are facing this team as we uh, move forward into spring training. Only really three weeks to go until opening day. It comes early this season, um, and maybe it's just best for this team to get on with it and start the season. I do want to start with that, though, the, just the emotions of the offseason. And, Chad, you were at spring training uh, when the team reported and really first got going, but we're coming off an offseason that just seemed to get worse and worse. And, and I think everybody was like, all right, let's just get to spring training and then it just kept getting worse. But Alex Cora obviously gone. Mookie traded. Brock Holt signs with the Brewers. All these bad things. Um, but it seems like the guys that are in the clubhouse chat are, are really keeping things, at least for now, as positive as they can. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Um, it's always, I don't know. I always think it's kind of hard to tell, you know, get a feel for a spring training clubhouse. I mean, Lars knows too. It, the spring training is such a different feel anyway um so it's kind of hard to get that sense I mean at some point though these guys are going to break camp and you know Xander will be playing again and Devers will be playing it's you know we'll see but I, I would say this it does feel different and it definitely you could tell I mean these guys were a little bit shaken by what all happened this offseason and it's been interesting to have conversations with guys in the organization not necessarily players but like decision makers in the organization who can all talk about and articulate reasons for trading Mookie Betts. There, there, there are all these logical reasons it made sense, and you can tell not one of them feels good about it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they, they, they know it made sense. I mean, they made a logical choice, and I think they all they, they feel like it was the, the right thing to do in the grand scheme of things, but it's not possible to feel good 
about trading Mookie Betts. It's just not. I mean, I've even talked to a guy with the Dodgers, and I brought that up, you know, and he was saying the same. He's like, oh, we know. He's like, I mean, they think they gave up good players to get him and and guys that are going to help the Red Sox down the road. And if if you weren't going to sign Mookie beyond this season, maybe it is the right thing to do to give up one year of him to get these young guys. But it's just, it is not possible, I don't think, to go into spring training and into the season feeling good when you've just traded one of the five to 10 best players in the game. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like I, I was just in, at spring training in Arizona to promote Birdman Bass, my, my back company. And um, I ran into Mookie and we kind of knew each other um, casually when he was with the Red Sox and I was still in baseball. And I saw him and it's almost, he looked like he was kind of in shock. You know, it was like, I don't know if that's just kind of his demeanor or whatever, but it, we talked a little bit and, you know, I just kind of asked him how it was being in Arizona and being with a new organization. And he, he felt like he was still like kind of, um, I don't know, processing all that had happened. So I think it's like kind of sent shockwaves through everybody involved. Yeah, he's certainly going to enjoy, enjoy the uh, the travel in Arizona versus Florida. Um, that's that's one thing. Um, it's funny because, like you said, Chad, there's a lot of ways you can look at the move and say, "Hey, that that was the right thing to do on paper from an analytics standpoint." But the thing is, like, the the fans are never going to think that way. It's emotional, and from an emotional right. level, trading Mookie Betts is never going to be a win. It's always going to be bad. This is a guy who was supposed to be a lifetime Red Sox. He was supposed to get his number retired eventually. He was going to have multiple World Series, and he does have one World Series, so there's that at least. Um, but but emotionally speaking, it's just bad to trade one of, I guess, the number two player in baseball. Yeah, I think it's I think it's possible to believe that trading him right now was the right thing to do and still wish they hadn't done it. Do you know Mm. what I mean? Like, it just, like, let's not, sometimes you just kind of want to put logic, throw that out the window with some of this. Like, yeah, it might make sense. It, I can understand it. I mean, all, there are elements of this that all line up. If you're not going to try sign him back and you're, you don't think it's going to help you on the free agent market, all this stuff, you might as well try to get the young talent. You still just, it's just, not fun to see it, you know, and if you're a fan following the team, even if you look at this and you're one of the guys who really loves the prospects and, and loves to think about the future and what it might be, you, you can look at Jeter Downs and think that's an everyday second baseman in the future. You can see Connor Wong and think this guy's got a chance to be a catcher who hits 25 homers. You could see Verdugo as a as a young, you know, a, a sort of Andrew Benatendi type who's going to be able to play right field and be a good productive outfielder. And still just hate that your team just traded Mookie Betts. It just, the, the the logic behind it is there, and you still just hate to see it happen. Chad, I know this might be like getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I'm curious as what you think the odds are of them signing him back might be in the in the offseason. Yeah. I, I, I asked that of someone and was told to not expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, that it just doesn't feel like that's the way they're going. Because um, I wonder the same thing. I thought, you know, if... If Mookie is, and as it seems he's made clear throughout, he's looking at this as strictly a business decision, right? That then, if that's going to be, if that is his stance, which is fine, then he, then I would think he has to also keep the trade in that context, right? Like if he's making a business decision to maximize his value on the free agent market, he would have to respect the Red Sox making a business decision to maximize his value by trading him here in the last year, and so then you go into the winter and it's it's back to the open market. If the Red Sox have the highest bid for him, they'll probably get him. I just don't think that's 
they're what they're going to do. I, I don't believe they're planning to, in the short term, make that kind of commitment. I, I just don't think they're going to give Mookie. I don't think they're going to be the high bidders uh, this winter trying to bring Mookie back. Well, one of the problems they'll have, I think, is they're going to get into this winter and they're going to look at this roster and it's got a pretty good lineup. They're still going to have a pretty good lineup. They're going to have huge holes unless something really miraculous happens with all these um, kind of vagabond pitchers they brought in happens. But the the problems with this team next winter are going to be the same as they are now, and that is pitching. So if you're going to spend money, I think, I mean, logically, and that's where this front office goes, is logically you would spend the money on pitching. Lars, that makes sense, right? I mean, when you're looking at the glaring errors or glaring shortcomings of this team, it's not going to be right field if Alex Verdugo becomes a good player. Yeah, and if you just look at, like, recent history of big contracts for position players, like, those guys, like, last year you have you have Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, and uh, Mike Trout, you know, signing huge deals in the last couple of years, and none of those guys made the playoffs. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, right. it's, it's really, for me, like, I think I have less of a problem with this trade. If The, the thing with the Mookie thing is we, we don't know what the internal discussions were between him and the team and the team itself. Like, we're only on the outside of this. And Chad might have more insight, and maybe he can speak to this, but um, we don't really know what was said. We don't, we don't have all the details. But, I mean, I, I agree with you, Tim, like, one outstanding player in baseball it's not the nba you know one outstanding player in the nba can get you to like deep into the playoffs um we've seen that with with lebron and you know the four other guys that he, he beat the the warriors with a few years ago but like baseball is different you need you need to have a staff you need to have a bunch of pieces in place rather than just one excellent player right well you go back to i mean in sort of our recent memory one of the standout contracts that the deal that alex rodriguez signed in texas if you go back to just when he took that opt out, you know when he opt out during the World Series and everything, initially that contract played out just fine. I mean, he was terrific, MVP awards and everything, basically worth all of that money. But when he was with Texas, it was a burden. It was even with with Alex living up to the contract, when they couldn't put a team around him, he wound up hurting that team more than helping them, and they had to get rid of him. Yeah, I think it all is a matter of of where do the Red Sox think they can afford and need to put their resources. And it's like you said, if they just traded for Alex Verdugo, who they clearly are positioning to be their right fielder of the future, then maybe that's just not the place they think they need to put their assets. And if you're going to instead spend money, I think it's like Tim said, you you might right now try to prioritize pitching um, while I think at the same time, certainly hoping that some of this, uh, you know, the, the difficulty they've had developing starting pitching in recent years, that that can start to turn too, because I don't think, I don't think this is going to work if you're not, if, if they can't finally break through and, and have a, whoever, a Tanner Houck, a Brian Mata, uh, some of these guys come up and actually fill a big league rotation spot. Um, you just can't keep finding those guys in the free agent market and have that be sustainable. Right. And, and if you look at the Red Sox, since this ownership group took over, it's never the offense that's the culprit for a bad season. You know, their offense is always kind of producing. It's always the pitching. It, their success and failure kind of hinges on the pitching, in my opinion. You know, and so, like, I think I think the focus should be on pitching, and especially, like you alluded to, developing it um, internally so that you can, like, keep these guys a little bit longer and they're a little bit cheaper. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, so the other thing from the offseason was obviously Brock Holt. You get the anger from Mookie, the sadness from Brock Holt. We won't we won't depress everyone too much though. So <laughs> so let's move on to the pitching. Oh wait, we're still going to depress people anyway. Um, <laughs> you guys mentioned the pitching, and so that brings us to Chris Sale and and how a thin staff, a thin rotation looks like it's going to be thinner. First, it was the pneumonia. Um, which kept him out a little bit, and he was he was going to miss opening day. Um, but then more bad news this week. He has the bullpen session on Monday, uh, MRI on Monday. They send that to Dr. James Andrews on Tuesday, and a little bit of panic starts settling in, although uh, Heim Bloom said it's, it's a bump in the road, I think was the quote. Um, and then the latest news this morning is that Dr. James Andrews did look at the MRIs, but they're still not giving more information because they're going to send the MRI now to Neil Atrash. He's the other kind of expert specialist on this stuff out there in L.A. with the Dodgers. Um, and then Ron Renicky says today, don't read into it that it's a worst case scenario. We just want to make sure we get this right. But, Chad, if if they sent it to the guy on elbows in right. Dr. James Andrews and he didn't have a conclusive answer enough that they're going to somebody else, there's something going on in that MRI, right? That's the one conclusion I think we can come to is that that MRI is certainly not clean. Yeah, I mean, that that seems to be the history of this, right? I mean, it's not a, you know, maybe we're not making a conclusion. I don't think anyone's definitively saying anything, but you can't look at this and know the history of second and third opinions and not think that this is a bad sign. Um, now, whether it's a sign that it's a small issue or it's a, major issue I don't know but no it doesn't look good and and it hasn't this has always been sort of a concern right I mean this was the concern coming in this was probably part of the reason that they traded Mookie in the first place is that you always knew this rotation was a total wild card I mean you don't know you don't know what exactly you're going to get out of sale you still got to try to get Evaldi through a season healthy and and sort of living up to his 100 mile per hour potential you're still trying to at the time you weren't sure what in the world's going on with David Price? And they wound up just sort of cutting their losses there. This was this was always at least a possibility that that Chris Sale was either not going to be himself or that he wasn't going to be able to pitch at all. And uh, yeah, if, if if this thing is bad and this is sort of a lost season, well, now we're starting to talk. I think about something totally different, and you start wondering, you know, exactly how many dominoes ultimately start to fall this season. Yeah, then you're blowing it up, I think. And that's a great point about Mookie, and maybe that's in the back of their mind a little bit, that like if, you know what, if we're going to contend in 2020 with Mookie Betts, everything has to go perfectly on the pitching side. And that really, when you think about baseball as a whole, never happens. I mean, every team needs seven, eight, nine starters to get through a season. Uh, and the Red Sox were going in before the trade, and you were confident in Eduardo Rodriguez and I guess mm. David Price to give you innings, but after that, there there's just so much question marks. And now with this, it just it maybe maybe that's one more reason that it was a good idea, or one reason that it was a good idea to trade Mookie Betts. Again, that the emotions still aren't being helped out, but but at least um, from a thinking standpoint. Um, so that brings you to he was already going to miss opening day. Um, now you would think even best case scenario with all these. Um, extra opinions weighing in on this, 
there's going to be, you would think, some sort of shutdown involved. Then there's a build back up, and you think he's going to miss even more time. And, Lars, we've talked about the opener and how much you like the opener. They were heading towards using that probably for the fifth spot in the rotation. I don't know how many spots in that rotation you can use an opener in. Yeah, I think this this season is kind of shaping up to give a, give the Red Sox fans an education on how creative baseball can be played. I think, um, you know, we're talking about the the – slot for the fifth starter but it seems to be just like a total free-for-all but kind of getting something that we touched on before like going back to Chris Sale and there is going to be a shutdown period and I just feel like if if this year is kind of shaping up the way it is where it's maybe they're not contending so much I mean hopefully they do and we never know what can happen in the season it seems like this would be potentially the year that he would get Tommy John so that he can come back next year and be effective in uh, 2021. Yeah, that's interesting. You do wonder a little bit. I wonder, I mean, do you think that would factor in? I mean, you've played. Do you think these guys would, do you think a guy like Sale would look at his team and go, okay, I could take a shot here and maybe it works out? Or does he look at this, do you think that would be factored in where he looks at the team around him and goes, you know, this probably isn't our year anyway. If I'm going to miss a season... Now's the time to do it. I think the climate is changing in, in sports. You know, you see Kawhi Leonard, um, you know, not playing back-to-back nights. Mm-hmm. Guys, guys are much more, they have much more of like a, a long view type of mentality in sports, you know. And so, yep. you know, he has a few years left on, the, I mean, what does he have, four years left on this contract? Last this year is the first year? Yeah, this is, this is the first year, believe it or not, which makes oh, okay. like oh, salt right, right, in the right. wounds yeah, yeah. a little bit that this is year one of the five-year $145 million yeah, right. deal. Right, so do, you, do we want to be talking about elbow inflammation and elbow soreness and shutdowns for the next couple of years, or do we want to address this and like make it right? And if they're not contending this year, like I think it's like the imperative of the front office to like kind of sit him down and explain that to him if he can't get there on his own, you know? athletes are kind of and you know Chris Sale is a little more old school so he's probably going to want to pitch this year but sometimes it's the responsibility of the front office to kind of save players from themselves and this could be a case of that yeah and and also if you if you do want to sell him on the idea of you know no let's 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 try to work our way through it this year <laughs> it's a little bit harder of a sale job right if you this is also the year when you decided to trade Mookie and you go oh no but we still think we're we're in it enough to win this year that we should take a shot on this season. You know, if you've already sort of set that expectation of, well, we're not so sold on this year that we are going to keep Mookie for one last season. If you're sale, I would think there's some practical point of view that has to look at this and go, eh, I'm not sure the organization believes that much in this season. I'm not sure I should either. Right. Yeah, they can tell you all they want, but the uh, the writing's kind of on the wall. And, you know, they, they brought in a bunch of pitchers, obviously, to hope to fill things out, and whether it's the opener or all of that. But at this point, Chad, it feels like if he's going to be out for, you know, if say he shuts it down and, and they're hoping, they say, hey, he doesn't need Tommy John surgery, but we hope to get him back sometime in June. Um, you got to go sign somebody, right? I mean, they have the yeah, money, obviously, so. now yeah. after the trade. Um, there, there has to be a move to, uh, to bring somebody in from the outside. Now, granted the options aren't great on the free agent market, right? No, no, there's not much out there on the market. Um, if there were, I think they'd already be here. Yeah. Uh, Hmm. But, but yeah, I, I, I I agree with you. I think if he's going to miss significant time, you know, even if you do kind of consider this a a long shot of a season, I still think you got to bring someone in. 
Uh, it's just too hard to, I would think anyway, uh, a little bit too hard to try to jump into this with with the, the depth options that are there. You know, as much as I think they really do, you know, they like Ryan Weber, who they got as a minor league free agent. They believe in the future of Tanner Houck and think Kyle Hart can be a big league pitcher. But, you know, do you feel that confidently enough to give any one of those guys 25 starts next year? I'm just not sure that's the case. So I threw a Twitter poll out, and, and granted, I don't have, uh, you know, 10,000 followers or anything, but, but a small sample size. Um, on uh, It's at Tim M. McMaster. I put a poll out there for which, and I phrased it as, which is the best bad option for the Red Sox on the free agent market? I put Clay Buckles, Andrew Kashner, Marco Estrada, Matt Harvey. And Matt Harvey won the day with 43% of the vote. Clay Buckles got 34%. Pretty much, I think that's just like a sentimental vote for the guy that <laughs> had some moments in Boston and, and making him bring him back. And then, Lars, you actually responded pointing out the fact that you have a double-A win. Um, but do any of those names move the needle for you, Lars? Like when you when you hear those names at this point in their careers, you know, does one of them kind of step up and and do you think they could actually contribute in in some positive way to to be totally honest i don't really know enough about like how those guys have gone the last couple of years i guess i would probably side on harvey just because like it seemed like not too long ago he was the dominant force in the major right. leagues and you, you might want to take a flyer and see how he if if you, he got into a new system with a new coach you know you never know what can happen you know you see you see guys kind of making turnarounds mid-career all the time so that could be the case. He seems to have the most upside out of that group, but um, I don't feel super confident in my own opinion on this. And I also wouldn't feel super confident that if they're not in a camp right now, I mean, how long would it even take to get them ready? You know, right. I mean, Sale missed two weeks and they and he wasn't going to start the season. Um, so if these guys are going to jump into a camp in mid-March, you know, they're probably still not going to be ready until May. So I, I just think you're at this point, I would think maybe you're trying to just go shopping around for either a trade candidate or a waiver claim or something at the end of spring training with someone who, who got stretched out in another camp who you could maybe slide in there right away. Um, and those are just, uh, to me, that's always so hard to predict because you, you, you can't really, uh, it's, it's hard to know, you know, who exactly might at the end, you know, kind of lose a job somewhere else that, that the Red Sox could sort of pounce on and, and feel like they have a better use for him. And you usually have some guys around the league, right, Chad, that it's like um, they have those opt-out clauses if they don't yeah. make the roster and that kind of thing. And then those guys will actually be geared up a little bit. Because if you look at the, the rotation now, right, it's, you you say Eduardo Rodriguez, number one, of all the two, Martin Perez, three. And then there's those two spots, which one of them, I guess, can be the opener. Um, but then you have to have that, that, that other guy in. And that's a great point. Those free agents probably wouldn't be ready for opening day anyway. So maybe it's the, the trash heap option. And, and that's, I guess that's why Bloom's here, right? That's like his, spe- one of his specialties is, is finding value for less and maybe he can find value out there. Yeah. And, and, and one other thing the Rays always did a good job with is, is finding value by using the whole roster. You know, I mean, that, whether it's, you know, routinely sort of mixing and matching in their lineup or whether it is sort of the way they would, use a pitching staff um you know now with the new roster rules where you're always going to have you know with a five-man rotation you'd still have an eight-man bullpen so you know take one of those starters out and now it's nine guys in the bullpen that you can mix and match with on an opener day I, you know maybe there is a way to to sort of use all of these parts in a way that that fills a void but it's just once you're down to just 
three starters and trying to fill two spots, man, that, that just seems awfully hard to do over the course of 162. Going to wear out the road between uh, Pawtucket and Boston, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, if you were to guess, I'll, I'll send this to you, Lars. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? For what ailment? Uh, just in general. Oh. Not Chris Sale's ailment, but some okay. sort of other ailment. I was going to say, like, losing a limb or, like, you know, the flu. <laughs> uh. A non-emergency situation. <laughs> When you say see a doctor, Lars assumes you mean you've lost a limb. <laughs> you know, I, I got to follow up, you know. Just curious. What kind of insurance are we talking? Uh, I'll say uh, 23 days. Now, that's actually not bad. Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major wow. U.S. cities, basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment as soon as possible. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping you also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or just want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel free anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Red Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Red Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, let's um, let's try to look on the bright side here. We've we've kind of covered the the doom and gloom of the off season and this team as a whole heading into spring training. Um, let's talk about a couple of other storylines, and the big one is obviously the new manager, which is because of one of those doom and gloom topics, Alex Cora leaving. But Ron Renneke, um it's a good. How do I want to say this? Uh, Ron Renneke seemed like the obvious choice to start from Lars because he was there and familiar. And obviously also somewhat, I was surprised at first because of the impending investigation that we're still waiting to hear from Major League Baseball. It seems to at least clear that Ron Renneke at least didn't know or wasn't involved in any of that. But he's a baseball guy. He's an older guy. He's had success with the Brewers. Um, he knows this roster already. Seemed like a no-brainer fit. And so far in spring training, it seems like it's been smooth sailing simply because he kind of used to run spring training anyway. Um, just talk about, Lars, I guess, you know, when a new guy comes in, the effect on a locker room if it's a guy people already know. Have you? Did you ever have that experience in your playing days that, that it's a transition but it's a comfortable one? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think my initial reaction – to this was his hiring was like maybe not so favorable, but, but thinking more about it just, just cause of his connection to core and like what that means. But, um, thinking more about it, I think given all of the turmoil of the off season, all of the moves, you know, this, this, uh, investigation that's going on, I think at, from a player it's probably really nice to have this guy, this, this familiar face, um, who you're with every day last year and the year before, um, in the locker room with you, I think that's that's like a, a steadying force um, for the Red Sox right now, and um, I'm sure they're they're appreciative of it because Cora was a wildly popular uh, manager for the players, and you know Renicky is kind of a secondhand man, so you have to assume that like players have a lot of respect and and um, admiration for this guy. 
and Ron was Ron's really well liked in there too. Because and I do think that yeah, it, you talk about the, how much the the feeling around the team changed. Um, I I really do feel like if you'd brought someone new in as the manager, I think that only would have made that a little more extreme. Even if they liked the new manager, it just would have you just would have been hit over the head with it over and over again. That that just how much has has changed here. They're they're used to Ron. They know Ron. They like Ron. I think it was a welcome bit of stability at a time when it felt like everything was changing. So, you know, whether that's a, whether that means he's a good manager or not, I don't know, but I think it was a good, it was a good move in the moment because I think it's just something the clubhouse needed was a guy that, that they liked to get a job and, and that someone who they, they could feel familiarity with where it still feels like there's a connection to 18 when everything was great. And like, hey, Ron was here for that. So he's, it's, you know, it feels like there's something, there is some sense of stability at a time when there was considerable turnover, considerable turnover um, in a negative way. I was just going to add that, you know, when looking at Renneke and coming into this job, you know, a a huge upside for him too is that he's been in Boston and he, he kind of has a feel for what the media is like, the scrutiny that you kind of have to navigate. And also his, he can draw on his experience of managing big league, a big league team. You know, when he was with Milwaukee, he had to deal with the Ryan Braun steroid controversy. Mm -hmm. So he is familiar with like dealing in dealing with tough situations, you know, and for, for coming to Boston is, is so unique in that sense. You know, you're under the spotlight and it's much more about what you do during a game. It's like, there are many things to kind of navigate. And I think, his experience in the game and also as a manager uh, running a team will really pay off this year. How much Although are they I will say it's funny that when I when I got this job after covering the Yankees for so long, people would ask, "Oh man, that must be a big change to go from the Yankees to the Red Sox." And my go-to line was always like, "It would have been a much bigger change to go from Milwaukee to the Red Sox." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like to go from big market to big market, it really wasn't that much of a change. Um, to go from a smaller market team to out here, you know, like you said, I do think that probably that experience of having gone through what he did with, with Ryan Braun and having to answer those tough questions and, and know how to sort of, uh, how to back a player and, and still sort of be kind of in the player's corner without necessarily condoning what the player did. I mean, that's a hard, that's a hard line to walk and he's obviously been experienced and had to do it. I do think that'll help, but you know, I also think there's no doubt that there's a, there is going to be a considerable difference between life as a Milwaukee Brewers manager and life as a Boston Red Sox manager. I like both of your takes on this. There was, with Cora, there was the, the factor that he could speak to the um, Spanish-speaking players in Spanish, uh, the English-speaking players in English, and obviously there's a comfort level uh, with that, and people brought up the fact that that, that won't be the case with Ron Renneke. Um, Lars, I'll go to you first from a player's perspective, being in a clubhouse with players that speak different language. Um, is that overblown or is that a huge deal when the manager is bilingual? Um, I think that's a big deal, personally. Um, especially having played, like I, I played in Japan where my manager and I, we could not speak the same language and we had a really difficult relationship because so much was lost in translation. Um, and we 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 couldn't communicate. I couldn't really tell him how I felt, uh, and he couldn't tell me how he felt. And that gave me a newfound appreciation for what um, Latin players go through when they come here, or players from Asia go through when they come here. Um, that's really difficult, you know, when you when you can't you know voice your concerns or voice your desires or what you're feeling. That's 
pretty frustrating. And so having a guy that can speak both languages is, I think, a huge bonus. That being said, when I was in Japan, there was like not really a translator that helped me very much. And I think in you know if you come to the states, you see guys like um, you know Daisuke Matsuzaka, for example. He had a, a, a bilingual translator who was fluent in both you know English and Japanese, and could kind of be the go between for that. But it's still frustrating, yeah. So, what is the formula in Boston now, Chad? For the, as the far translation, as how, you mean? Yeah, as far as just the, the <laughs> overall, yeah, the, yeah, as far as the well, overall communication now. Yeah, as opposed I, I, to I last wonder if years. that's another element where where having Ron helps. Where yeah. it, it's probably more daunting when you don't speak the same language, and it's someone new. You know, they, they these guys know Ron, and they've gotten used to him, and and Ron's gotten used to them. So I doubt their communication issues are as strong. And even the the you know the players. I don't know that there's a, a player on the team who, you know, isn't conversational in English and can, right. you know, can yeah. get along with with Ron and and have this have the conversations. But I but I'm with Lars. I do think it's a big deal. I mean, you know, that sort of thing was it it was interesting to see it with. Uh, I don't think I'm, I'm trying to remember if I've ever if I'd covered a a Latin manager before. I don't I don't know that I had. And and to to see that comfort level. Um, in the clubhouse was interesting, you know, and, and it's not that I'd ever thought there was a problem, you know, I never really noticed something where I thought, oh, that's is these guys are having an issue because of this, but but to see the 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 fluency and how well that that translated when you know Alex could bounce through the clubhouse and you know speak Spanish to Devers and in the very next sentence speak English to Pedroia or whatever, it was a, that was a big deal, um, I, and I think it was helpful in there. Uh, so I do think it's something they'll miss, but you also have you know. Carlos Fabulous is still on the roster mm-hmm. uh, on the coaching staff. You know, Ramon Vasquez. It's, it's, it's that element is certainly there. But yeah, no, it, it, it is a, it's, it is an element that will be missed for sure. And Chad, Chad is right too. Usually, like by the by the time guys are in the big leagues, uh, most foreign players, especially on the Latin side, are are conversational in in English. Um, it's the the language barrier is greater at the lower levels for sure. So, I think it's. It is important, but it's not like a necessity, you know, for a manager to be bilingual. Right. By any means. Yeah, and greater for Japanese players who come directly into the Definitely. major leagues from Japan yeah. as opposed to guys who have come up through the minor leagues. And really, since they were 16 years old, they've kind of been, for a lot of these guys, have been in that environment. All right, one more thing I wanted to get to on, on this edition of the podcast is um, we got to talk about Verdugo a little bit. Um, it's been frustrating, obviously, that he has the – broken back basically to simplify things but a fracture in the back and he's not going to be ready for opening day when this was the big piece um, in the Mookie Betts trade obviously it's a long-term thing that they're thinking that he'll be he'll be good Um, and and Jeter Downs has been good and that's kind of I think made people feel a little bit better but Lars you played with Verdugo so I'm that's kind of a perspective that a lot of people in Boston don't have is is a teammate of this guy Um, it was a while back when he was in the minor leagues and you were in the minor leagues, but, but just kind of give us some insight into, um, you know, beyond a, a lot of people have written things, but you were there in the clubhouse for basically a season with him. So what was your impression of a younger Alex Verdugo? Yeah, I played with Alex in 2016 for the, yeah, for the most of that season. Um, I really like Alex. He was really young when I played with him, so I'm not quite sure how he navigates the clubhouse, but he was still kind of, um, we'll say maturing into professional for, for, for that lifestyle. You know, it was really, his career was, was new at that point. Um, 
He's an insanely talented player. Um, one of the best outfield arms I've ever seen. Uh, runs balls down. Uh, super mature approach at the plate. Um, well beyond his years when I play with him as far as like seeing pitches, swinging at the right pitches, taking the pitches that he shouldn't swing at. Um, using the whole field, having an idea about how a pitcher is going to approach him. Um and he also kind of has a little bit of that it factor where he he likes the spotlight, he likes making the the great play, and and uh, he plays the game with a lot of joy and flash, and I think that that goes well with uh, today's game. Um, I'm curious and a little bit concerned with how he's going to handle Boston, especially like the media and the pressure that one plays with. The Dodgers organization, in my opinion, was perfect for him because it's just very loose, very relaxed. Um, and I think it's really important for the veteran players of this team to kind of like take him under their arms and help him assimilate into like the Boston sports culture because and, and kind of like show him the ropes a little bit because he is young and Boston's a lot to deal with when you're David Ortiz, you know. And so mm-hmm. it's, uh, I think... I think it's really important for him to get off to a good start when he comes back, and I think it's important for his teammates to kind of pick him up. You know, I, I finally had my first like sort of one-on-one conversation with him for about 10 minutes last week, and one thing that I thought about, and it's it's not a great comparison, but it did cross my mind, He's he, he carries himself with a, a very loud presence. And it's yeah. not necessarily that he's loud, it's just you're aware of when <laughs> Alex is around, you know? I mean, there's just a lot going on with him. And... And I think just sort of having observed him maybe for a few days first, it's it's hard to tell, like, it's hard to know what to make of that. Like, is it an act? Is it all, like, what what is all of this? And then when you talk to him, it's still there. That personality is still there. But he was, like, breaking down elements of baseball, like, with this big personality, but that was, like, you know, really sort of thoughtful way. And um, it, it, that was an interesting dynamic. And it actually, I came away from it actually thinking about when I covered Nick Swisher. Mm. Um, where I'm not, not saying they're the same, but, it, but it, but there was a lot like Nick was a, sort of the same way. Like when you first were around Nick, it was like, holy, like this guy, there's a lot to this guy's personality, you know? And, and it was, again, it was sort of hard to know what to make of that at first. And then as you got to know him, it was like, oh, like, yeah, that's just genuinely who this guy is. Like there is sort of some like maybe little kid element to him, but, yeah. but he kind of, but he's he really knew baseball and cared about baseball. And um, so you just kind of had to know, you know, it was, yeah, it was hard to know exactly initially what to make of all the noise around him. Um, but once you cut through that noise, there's a, a pretty good guy there at the core of it. And, and that is sort of rooted in just a real love of baseball and understands baseball. And as you were saying, Lars, I've heard other people tell me that too, that like, Verdugo's approach at the plate has always been well beyond his years. I mean, this guy was a really great, highly touted pitcher coming out of high school. He has a huge arm. Um, I think he's going to be an interesting he's – he's obviously a talented player, but I do think you're right. It's going to be interesting to see how that personality and how his approach to things is going to play in Boston because the market is much, much different than L.A. Yeah, definitely. He, you know, thinking about comparisons too, he has like a little, not, not approach at the plate. They're polar opposites in this regard, but he has a little bit of like Josh Reddick in him um, mm-hmm. where like, you know, like both guys are just like chomping at the bit to like go rob a home run, you know, like <laughs> right, they just right. like cannot wait to try to scale a wall and bring a, bring a, bring a ball back. And like, 
they do have like a, a sort of baseball intelligence, you know, with base running, with where to throw the ball, um, you know, from the outfield. Just these these little things where they kind of see the game uh, with this innate quality about them. And I think I think he has that similarity to Reddick, but he has a, a higher ceiling than Josh does. I like to think that fans will kind of go into this like. I mean, the the negative side, you think, oh, this guy replaced Mookie. Boo, you're not Mookie. But I, I feel like Red Sox fans are going to give Verdugo a chance. Now, I don't know if that's like a week's worth of games, Chad, or if it's a little more than that. But I think, oh, I think, I think the they're intrigued, right. right, by who this guy is. And, okay, let's give this guy a chance and see what he can do because he will always be known as the guy that they got for Mookie. Yeah, if I mean, it's ultimately, I mean, if a guy can play, they're going to love him. You know, it's just I think that he probably doesn't get because of who he was traded for. He probably won't get the benefit of, you know, if what he becomes is just, you know, really a nice fourth outfielder. It might they might react negatively to that, whereas someone else who comes up, you know, you might really cheer for and he becomes a fan favorite as the fourth outfielder. He maybe doesn't he maybe won't get the benefit of that. But I mean, if he plays, I don't think they're going to they're not going to hate that he was traded for Mookie Betts if he if he comes out and plays well. Yeah, it's interesting. He comes up in a different scenario because if he had come up with the Dodgers, he would have been, oh, this, you know, this hotshot prospect that we got from, you know, that we we brought up and we've been waiting for this guy to arrive and here he is and all the fanfare. And now it's just a completely different narrative in Boston because he wasn't coming up through the Red Sox system. He's just that guy that they traded for Mookie. Um, all right, I think that's uh, I think that's about a wrap for us on episode one in the free world. Um, we'll be coming to you every week. So this one's Wednesday, but generally it'll be every Monday. We'll be coming to you with a new podcast. Um, we're going to have some guests on. Um, Lars and Chad will be a big part of this. Jen McCaffrey, as I mentioned. Coming up on Monday, it'll be Jen and Steve Buckley um, who will be joining us. So in all of the athletic um, edition of the podcast. Um, but we're excited to get some other guests along the way. So definitely check back. As I said, give us a five-star review and, and, and give us a rating there on Apple. Um, follow us on Twitter as well. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Lars is underscore Lars E. Anderson. And you probably already follow Chad. He's at Chad Jennings 22. Thanks to the Beantown Swing Orchestra as well for our new open music. Uh, love that tune as well. So we'll be back again on Monday. More on the Red Sox as they try to kind of turn things around. I'm sure there'll be more news on Chris Sale. And actually, I'll get this thought from you, Chad, real quick. Do you think by Monday we have something from Major League Baseball? Oh, uh, no. I don't know. Okay. I Yeah, I wouldn't confidently say yes at this point. <laughs> Eventually, we'll get more from Major League Baseball, and we'll break that down as well. Thanks for tuning in to our first free edition of the Old Town Podcast. Uh-huh.